Hey everyone, I've got some exciting news. We're unlocking Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2 and making it available for everyone on our public feed. But if you love our work and want to be the first to listen to Season 3 as it's being released, head over to Patreon. There you'll find break-free versions of past SDS9 episodes, Southpaw and Fight Study, and our other bonus show, Fighters Brew. You'll also find our Liberation Martial Arts program, which is exclusive to our supporters. It's for beginner and advanced martial artists, as well as people just looking for fitness and rehabilitation. It's a gentle, wholesome, and embodied approach to training. Lots of individuals, trainers, families, friends, collectives, activists, and organizations are already using it. So if you want to support our work, and get early access to all our great content, including Season 3 of SDS9, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod and join our community. You can also go to southpawpod.com and find the links there or on our show notes. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. This is Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2, where we analyze Deep Space Nine and Star Trek from a political and historical lens, episode by episode. I'm watching DS9 with fresh and hopefully less fan-biased eyes, and Scott, who's normally here, is not here because he's still sick. So this won't be our usual format, it'll just be me exploring DS9 alone. But because there's a lot of episodes ahead, the show must go on. And hopefully, by the next episode, Scott will be recovered and he'll be back and things will be back to normal. Let's cross our fingers. Now, on this episode, I am discussing Season 2 of DS9, Episode 18, Profit and Loss. So just by the title, you probably know it'll be about Quark, but it's actually much more than that. So a damaged Cardassian ship shows up at DS9. Cisco tells O'Brien to bring it in via tractor beam. Then when Cisco and Chief O'Brien go down to greet the passengers, we meet Natima Lang and her students, Raquelin and Hogue. Lang claims that their ship was damaged in a meteor shower and that she is a teacher. So of course, O'Brien begins repairs on the ship. Now, right away, we find out Lang is anxious about being on the station. And we first think it's because she's afraid to be around Bajorans. And then we see Garrick and Julian Bashir having their regular lunch. Or at this point, we're seeing that this is kind of a routine between them to eat and discuss politics without directly discussing politics. And one of the discussions they have is about nationalism versus family. Nationalism was a theme that we saw a little bit in the previous episode about playing God, where it was about Kira's nationalism. Now, 
Bashir keeps trying to poke Garrick and get him to admit that he's a spy or an outcast. Garrick teases him by saying, you know, maybe I'm an outcast spy. And then Odo tells Quark at the bar that he knows he has a cloaking device and you're going to be in big trouble if you don't return it. And Quark is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Lang and her students pass by the promenade and Quark sees her and drops whatever he's doing to run out. He says hello to her and then she slaps him and says, I never want to see you again. And Quark says, this is the happiest day of my life. It's a very noir, femme fatale kind of a scene. So if you've watched a lot of like black and white detective private eye movies, this is very much playing on those tropes. Then we find out Quark and Lang were once lovers. Lang is upset at Quark about something. And when he starts talking about the rules of acquisition, she gets even more upset. And then Garrick and Bashir pass by and Garrick notices Lang, which makes her panic. And so she leaves with her students. They go to the ops and Lang tells Cisco that she and her students have to leave now. And then O'Brien discovers that her ship was actually damaged by Cardassian phaser fire. So then Lang comes clean and says they're political outcasts intent on reforming the Cardassian government, fighting for Cardassia's future. Lang explains the nature of the Cardassian dissident movement and that these two students are student leaders of this movement. But since Garrick saw them, Lang is like, we're fucked. We need to get out of here. So Cisco says, we're going to repair the ship as soon as possible, adding additional engineers to speed it up. So then. Quark visits Garrick's tailor shop. And this is probably the most titillating scene in this episode. Quark goes in looking for clothes for Lang. And Garrick says, you know, Lang's taste in fashion is a little, quote, too radical. And warns that wearing radical fashion can be detrimental to one's health. So Quark came in here knowing what he was doing. He knew coming here, he would get information. And so Garrick, through analogies, warns Quark that Lang should get away from the other two. Otherwise, she'll be pursued by the Cardassian government. And so will Quark. And so Quark wants to see if Garrick will help her, but Garrick will not. And so Quark goes to Lang and professes his love and says, He'll even leave DS9 and the bar for her. And then we find out what happened to their relationship, which was Quark used her access codes to steal money from the Cardassians. But then we also find out Quark betrayed the Cardassians to sell food to the Bajorans. And it was Lang who protected him. Then Lang threatens him with a phaser gun, but she doesn't really mean it. But then she accidentally does set it off and Quark gets hurt. And then we have this scene where she professes her love and that she does feel the same way. And then Garrick later on visits Ops to talk with Cisco. At this point, a Cardassian warship has appeared. Now, in his conversation with Cisco, Garrick explains that the Cardassian Central Command wants Hogan Raquelin. 
he describes them as terrorists. But then Cisco pushes back and is like, hey, if you try to take them by force, we'll respond in kind. And then Garrick is like, oh, okay, you want to do that? Fine. You want to play that game? But, you know, why don't you come by the shop and try on some suits? He has some that he thinks will look good on him, which is kind of saying, I know you can't do shit because ultimately you're a company man and you just follow orders. So Quark approaches Hogan Raquelin, offers them the cloaking device and doesn't want any money in return for them. All he says is just leave without Lang. And then Quark talks to Lang and it seems like maybe he's finally convinced her to stay. Give up on the movement. Revolutionary movements are for kids anyway. Let them handle it. And then as they think they figured it all out, Odo shows up and places Lang under arrest. The Bajoran government, we find out, has agreed to turn Lang and Hogue and Raquelin over to the Cardassians in exchange for the release of several Bajoran prisoners. Cisco explains to everybody, hey, you know, I thought I could do some shit, but I can't. I have to follow orders. And then we meet Gul Turan, a former rival of Garrick's. And he visits Garrick's shop and talks some shit. And he tells Garrick there's going to be no prisoner exchange. They need to be killed instead. And Garrick, we find out, is the one who negotiated this prisoner exchange. And so Gul Turan is like, if you want to return from exile, so we do find out that Garrick is indeed in exile. If you want to come back, you're going to have to be the one to kill them. But in Odo's security office, Quark gets on his knees and he begs and he begs and asks Odo to release Lang and her students and help them escape. But then Odo's like, look, I was going to do that anyway. So Odo releases them. Then Quark takes Lang and her students to the airlock. But then Garrick is there and he has a phaser and he laments that he has to kill them. Quark and Lang are trying to reason with Garrick. But Garrick's like, hey, you know, I tried to warn you. You should have listened to me before. But before Garrick can kill them, Gul Turan shows up, basically claiming that Garrick doesn't have what it takes to pull the trigger. Also, Gul Turan wanted to kill them and then take the credit, but needed Garrick to find them. But then when Gul Turan is about to kill them, Garrick kills Gul Turan. And then Garrick lets them escape, which also includes Lang. Because she realizes as much as she loves Quark, she loves her country and she needs to do this until her work is done. But when her work is done, she'll come back to Quark. And Quark is like, when Cardassia becomes a free and democratic society, and you know, you think about real life allegories, even the US isn't really a free and democratic society. So who knows how long Quark has to wait. But she promises that she'll come back. So who knows? Maybe she'll be. She'll be a guest star in a future episode. And then Quark and Garrick walk off together. And then Garrick asks Quark, why did you help Lang? And he's like, I had no choice. I love her. And then Quark asks Garrick, why did you do what you did? And he's like, because I love Cardassia, which is why I had to do what I did, which confuses Quark. And then Garrick responds, that's the thing about love. No one really understands it, do they? And that's the episode. So in this episode, we learn about the Cardassian underground movement, which opposes the military government, adding to the thread that's already been started. 
that there's internal conflicts within Cardassia. Now, every scene with Garrick and Quark were great, but there's parallels. They both have businesses where people come in and talk, and both Garrick and Quark listen and leverage information, but they approach their information finding differently. So we see their two different approaches, but they both kind of understand each other. They're both spies in a way, and they're both doing things and scheming behind the scenes. Now the Cardassian underground sounds like Weather Underground, a student-led pro-democracy movement right here in the U.S., who were also labeled terrorists. Then we get to the scene with Garrick and Sisko, which is also magic. These scenes with Garrick are like movie scenes. And the way Garrick uses clothing to make metaphors or to make veiled threats is also some good writing and acting. And this is a recurring theme in DS9, but there's elements here of Casablanca, the sacrifices you have to make for a revolution. We also get a hat tip to noir novelist Mickey Spillane, like literally in there. So there is an acknowledgement of the noir genre. And then we see Quark again showing that he is willing to give up profit for love. Really, for that character, the most important thing for him is love, even more than money, at least this far in DS9. Then when we get to the swapping of political prisoners, we see how prisoners can just be pawns. But I thought I remember in a previous episode that Cardassia released all their prisoners. So I'm not sure how all of this works or I'm just misremembering. But prisoners as pawns means more chips. You actually want then a lot of prisoners. The more prisoners, the more chips, which is why the U.S. will never close Guantanamo. And they never meant that when they said it. And they're never going to close all their black sites because that would mean giving up all their chips. So it's literally a form of dehumanization. These are not actual humans. These are just capital to be used and leveraged in whatever ways the government needs to use them. And sometimes, like chips, like capital, like your cards, maybe the way you want to use them is not to show them, to hide them. And to reinforce my point, we saw the racist ways white Americans reacted to Brittany Griner, seeing her just as capital, as political capital, not as a human being, not seeing a black woman as a human being. You compare this to times when it was a white person that the U.S. was negotiating for and the public response and even the media response was completely different. It's all racialized. It's racist. That's also why the U.S. doesn't care about the Muslim and black and brown prisoners they have because they're not white. So sci-fi can never truly replicate how bad it is in real life because the executives, the producers, the advertisers know sci-fi still ultimately reflects reality and they don't want to show that side of reality. They don't want sci-fi to show those types of atrocities because then people will start digging and be like, wait, what is this based on? And that also assumes the writer's room is diverse enough to pick up on these things. Now, Odo, again, in this episode, like in a lot of previous episodes, like the one we just had about playing God, where he talks about life, we see here Odo's sense of justice isn't just based on nationalism or nation states or laws, but by his own personal moral code. So he'll follow that over anything else. He ultimately follows his heart. He follows Jiminy Cricket, his conscience. And we see that again here, which actually makes him more moral at times than the other officers of the station. And then by the end, we do find that 
Garrick says the truth out loud sometimes, and that's what makes it harder to believe because he just says it. So he's like, I'm a spy in exile. And then we find out that is true. It's the way he plays with the truth. He knows the way psychology works. So sometimes if you tell them straight up, they're going to not trust it. And like Quark, like Odo, Garrick also follows his own personal moral code. So for a middle episode, this episode was really good. It hit all the categories of a good episode. And also as far as season one and two go, this is a pretty radical episode. Then it ends with the, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship ending. And that revolution is also about love. I think that's a good message. The next episode is Blood Oath. And I know nothing about this episode. I haven't even watched a second of it, so I can't even give you a preview of it. So that really tells you I will be watching this with fresh eyes and I will give you fresh takes from somebody who's just watched it for the first time. Until then. Bye.